0: My name is Kevin Howard and welcome to SNJ Today's podcast South Jersey Stories where we get beneath the surface of the news stories and topics we're still talking about. SNJ Today reporters Jeff Schwachter and Nina Contento visited the Grace Bethany Church in Bridgeton on January 24th during a code blue activation. A code blue is called when temperatures are below 32 degrees with snowfall or 25 degrees without snow. Warming centers are open from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. to help those who are homeless to have a warm roof over their heads. On this night, the shelter was nearly filled to capacity with a full slate of volunteers to help prepare and serve dinner. Here are the experiences and thoughts from the guests and volunteers during the Code Blue activation. Aaron, a guest at the church, explains the situation and possibly what Cumberland County can do to help the homeless.
1: Doing the best I can. Um, I'm homeless, me and my wife are homeless. Been homeless for a few months. Um, trying to do the best that we can, you know, when we don't have code blue, we're basically sleeping, abandoning houses or the woods, you know. I wish that Cumberland County would do more the homeless people, because the homeless shelter is way out there on Maize Landing Road in the middle of nowhere, and you don't have transportation and whatnot. So like, if the county could like, open up one of these abandoned buildings and do more, you know, because it's rough out here if you don't have anything, you know, like, I don't have family to support and help out, you know. When I do work, it's odd jobs, like little small jobs and whatnot, but, um, it's rough, you know?
0: Michael, a guest says what Code Blue does for people is good, even if it's temporary.
1: It's, it's, it's temporary relief. It is warm. It's, you know, you, you're not out in the elements, at least. They do offer you a meal, um, beverage, blankets, something to sleep on. Comfortable, somewhat.
0: Michael also explains that the cost of rent in New Jersey is a big reason why homelessness is a problem.
1: The rentals are like unless you're sharing something it's it's crazy. It's phenomenal. It's outrageous. This this is part of the this is part of the homeless problem. Okay, because rents are so much. I myself I'm uh, limited. I'm retired and disabled. Okay? Uh, not by choice, uh, but it has to be that way. Myself, I can't afford half the stuff that's out there. I don't know what's next. Uh, I mean, I have been through uh, welfare to ask for help and, and the rapid rehousing program. and They want to run me a credit check and what have you. I don't have any credit, and and they want to charge you to do it.
0: Tyrone, a volunteer, thinks that because of the factories closing and that local government isn't doing as much as it could, homelessness has increased in the area.
1: All the factories are gone. Um, this used to be a booming town. Um, my mom, I was raised in Bristol all my life. Um, I stayed right around the corner on Orange Street. So um, once the factories left, the city died. It, it, it died. It, 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 there's nothing here.
2: Do you think the mayor and the county have... The right mindset to get it back on the track? No, nah, I don't.
1: I just moved back from uh, North Carolina to Millville. And they don't.
0: Lisa is a volunteer and a correction officer who helps point people in the
1: right direction. I've been a correction officer for, for 21 years at the Cumberland County Department of Correction, so I see a lot of these people, and and I see what happens to them when they're released on the streets. They have nowhere to go, and most of the time they end up here. So I come here to help. Where I can. Well, I I, I try to meet their needs. I try to introduce them to people in here that can help them get a job, clothing, food, until they can get on their feet to get to the next level, you know. Just always love helping people.
0: Caroline explains how area churches help during a Code Blue activation.
1: There's several churches. Bethany uh, Grace, they are one of the churches that house. St. Andrew's, St. Teresa's, there are several, and um, Salvation Army, all those house people, but all the churches in the area take part, they bring in the food. Like tonight uh, is Union Baptist Temple, they cook tonight. And each one of the churches and different community organizations, we have Hands of Passion, there are a lot of people that come in and provide the food. Seven Day of Venice, we're in charge of housing tonight to stay, but the other churches bring in the food.
0: Michael doesn't know what will happen to him in the future, but he hopes that one day he can look back at this part of his life.
1: What keeps me going every day? I'll tell you what. Not much. Not much. Every day is a battle. Every day. Every day. I just want to get through this. I don't. I don't know where the end is. Um, I want to look back. I didn't laugh. Hopefully.
0: I sat down with Jeff and Nina to get their thoughts on Code Blue and the hardships that the homeless endure during the winter months. All right, Jeff and Nina, thanks for talking to me. Jeff, can you explain? what the church looked like,
2: how many cots there were, how many people, volunteers and guests? Um, There were about 40 cots, I would say, 35, 40 cots. Um, They were all um, put into, some of them were already laid out. I think they were making room for some of them after the dinner. Um, They had cafeteria style tables that they took up and uh, made room for the 40 cots, There were about, um, I think it was capacity that night, so there were about 40 different people, guests, and um, about 10 to 15 volunteers uh, the night that we went to the church.
0: And what were the volunteers doing? I know somewhere in the kitchen, but were there any out with the guests by the cots?
2: Yeah, they were uh, serving the food. Um, I believe they went out and served the food right to the tables Um, some of the time, the people would come up to the kitchen pantry area and, and ask for something. But, um, yeah, there was intermingling among the uh, the volunteers and the guests, helping them uh, with not only uh, dinner, but helping them get uh, their beds situated, uh, any clothes they needed, uh, as well as um, showing them the uh, the closet that they have there for um People that need uh, clothing for job interviews and such, and um, as well as I think on Mondays, they um, you know, if a code blue happens on a Monday, but if uh, even if it doesn't on Mondays, there's uh, a shower ministry where they can uh, take a shower.
0: Uh, Nina, what can you tell me about the atmosphere there?
3: It was really. Like everybody was moving, everybody was constantly doing something, but then you would take a glance around the room and you would always find somebody in the corner or somebody sitting on their cot or sitting by themselves completely silent, not even acknowledging what was going around. But then you saw the volunteers and some of the the guests always moving around, talking to people. Some of them had some pretty positive attitudes, but then again, you saw those people that were really just there because they felt like they really needed to or had to.
0: One person you guys talked to, Aaron, just recently was out of jail, I believe, that week, and he didn't seem too happy about Code Blue in general. What what guys can you tell me about that?
3: I mean, it wasn't the fact that he was unhappy about Code Blue. He said it was a good thing that they had going on there for them, but it was more so he didn't feel like it was enough. At least that's the vibe that I was getting from him. He felt like the county and just the people that were involved volunteering, they could be doing more. But in reality, it was all of the things that are offered are based upon their readiness and based upon them making an effort and taking the action. So... With him, with Aaron specifically, it it seemed like he wasn't really putting in the effort, which kind of geared his opinion towards these things in a negative light.
2: Yeah, I think he, you know, he was definitely going through a lot. He was just out of jail, like you said, and um, he um, was going through being a week clean after, um, you know, being a in the was of addiction for however long, but he was only a week clean, so um, he's probably going through some withdrawal symptoms. he was in jail, so he probably didn't have you know the proper detox. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but um, regardless uh, he wasn't in in the proper state of mind to to really make any rational decisions um, but like Nina said, um, there are opportunities at the shelters at these warming centers during the code blue to get more information um, with regard to whatever you need.
0: Now, were there any common factors that you
2: found with people you interviewed, the guests that were there? Yeah, a lot of them said that there's a housing issue and that they just can't afford a place to live, that rent is too high. And if they miss a, a month's rent, then they're out in the street. If they're out in the street, then you know they have to go rob Walmart to buy a tent. I mean, to to steal a tent so that they can sleep in the woods. And then they get arrested, and then they have a record, and then they can't get a, a job. And then they, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Um, seems like.
3: Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't really see just visually looking around any really common things with the people that were there. But as soon as you talk to people that we spoke with and they brought up the housing issue, you really do notice that there is a, a need for some higher thing to to do something about the houses in foreclosure or the, the houses that are abandoned or just these different things that the homeless are utilizing and then getting in trouble for utilizing. So that was one thing that many people brought up was the, the housing um, issues and from a personal experience, I've seen rent for certain properties be astronomical and just way too high for people to even be able to afford, but there are different programs to get vouchers and assistance for people that are homeless or not making enough money or not not able to do things because they're disabled. There are different programs out there for them, but the fact is that these programs, getting involved with them takes so long to actually get what they need that people almost give up. And like Jeff just said, it's a vicious cycle.
0: Yes, yeah, so Michael was saying that uh, he applied for welfare and ra- uh, rapid rehousing, but they're asking for a credit check. He doesn't have credit. So it feels like there's some kind of disconnect between what people need and what's actually happening.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, just to go back to, the, to your question before that Um, one of the things that a lot of them had in common was a lack of parents and a lack of family Uh, a lot of us when we come on hard times we can depend on our family Mm -hmm. and um, people that we spoke with um, two of them Aaron and Michael both had lost both parents recently Um, I know Michael had recently got divorced Aaron was trying to um you know, keep a roof over his wife's head and is. Um, but I think, uh, you know, when you think about it, um, the family dynamic wasn't there for some of the people that we spoke with, which kind of stood out to me.
3: Yeah, I agree. It really takes a toll on someone when they feel alone mm-hmm. and when they feel helpless. And that, that, having that as a mental block can contribute to just pushing out people that even want to help you because just the, the sheer feeling of being alone is overwhelming.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's some um, support that's missing some people's lives or they're just not getting it right now. Um, let's talk about the support system, the volunteers themselves. Was, was there anything that struck you about them in general?
2: I think they were all uh, amazing people, um, really inspiring. They all had something in common, and that was that they just loved what they did and got something from it that made them, you know, get up in the morning and do it uh, every, you know, very often. You know, some of the volunteers um, had been doing it for a long time and do it every day, do it every week, drive across the state. So that they can be at different um, facilities to help and volunteer, and uh, you know some of them had faced homelessness before, maybe some of them hadn't or touched uh, by homelessness, but um, either way, they they gave the same uh, spirit and effort to wanting to help these co-humans.
3: And what I found people, the volunteers, they were so modest. As soon as we started talking to them, not many people really wanted to talk to us and explain to us what they were doing there and why they were doing it. But as soon as we got them to open up and feel comfortable with us, you could really see that, that sparkle in their eye, just how excited and happy they were to be there, to be able to contribute their time and energy, and m- many of them contribute their, their money, their funds, to be able to help these people, and it, you could really tell that these people would take the shirt off their back to help a stranger.
0: It's really long hours, too. It's from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Some of these volunteers are working that whole time. But now they're they're asking for more volunteers, and I don't think they've ever been able to have a max amount of volunteers to come in for every, every shift's three hours. Everyone's either doubling or tripling up.
2: Yeah, there definitely was uh, a lot of cold stretches over the winters when they needed volunteers um, because people were just worn out um, from volunteering. Um, we're moving into March now, so I don't know how many more code blues there's going to be, but... They still need uh, volunteers for, uh, you know, the shelter that they run, under there, that's run um, year round, and also uh, for the closet that still exists year round, and some of the other services that exist year round at the uh, church and the M 25 initiative and uh, Code Blue hold um, events and fundraisers and other kind of things throughout the year to help their uh, efforts in the winter.
3: And what p- many people don't know is these volunteers hold full-time jobs. So they're coming from working overnight or working an entire shift or working a whole day to come volunteer all those hours, like you just said. And they were saying even if you can come out and work one hour, that would make a difference.
0: So Jeff, tell me a little bit about, you were mentioning earlier, closet for people that <coughs> come in that go in for job interviews, but they don't necessarily have the clothes that they need. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: One of the volunteers was told me about it, um, it's a closet that they um, have, you know, it's a, it's a big room that they have with suits and, and ties and dresses for women and other kinds of uh, business attire that um, can help certain people um, when they're you know, going for a job interview or, or, or starting work, um, so they need those kinds of things year-round uh, to help people get back into the job force if they don't have the right attire. Sometimes they're deterred from going after a job or going and actually following through and doing the job interview that they set up.
3: What amazes me is um, they even said if somebody comes in and they have so many layers on, say if they have four layers on, they will take all of those clothes that they're wearing, they'll wash them, and then you can take as many layers as you came in with. That way the next week you come back to the clothes that you had before clean and you still were able to make it through that week with whatever it is you had layered on. And like Jeff was saying, with these, these people trying to find jobs that are homeless, they're deterred to go out and look for a job because they don't feel like they look the part or they don't feel the part. And and a, going through a job application process or an interview, you really have to feel confident in yourself because People that are hiring, they'll notice that, and giving people that confidence and that help makes all the difference because that's really where it starts.
2: And I, and I think it also, you know, speaks to the fact that it could be anybody that is homeless and that is in, the, in and that's in a shelter during Code Blue or any other time. You know, there are, um, it could be your family member or neighbor or anyone. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true, and. Um, the closet that's there uh, speaks to that fact you know it illustrates the fact that people are actually you know regular people that need jobs and they're looking for jobs um, and that they need clothing as well you know if if you're living on the street getting a suit isn't going to be the top priority on your list
0: all right guys I think that's it for me is there anything else I didn't mention that you want people to know
3: the 6 a.m. Thing for me. yeah, I definitely want to bring that up because right. uh, that is a kind of, I mean, it's a huge factor in this Code Blue initiative. With the guests that come in, they have to be in before 9 p.m. And if they're not in before 9 p.m., they have to be escorted in by an officer. At 9 p.m., they have that strict lights out rule. So people really have to make the point to get to these Code Blue places before that. And like um, Aaron was saying, and like Michael was saying, transportation is huge, Um, but the other time factor is they have to be out by 6 a.m. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not even out of bed at 6 a.m., so putting someone back out onto the streets at 6 with stores that aren't open and places for them to go, there's nowhere open at that time, so what are they going to do, just wander around with temperatures that are still just as cold and it's still just as dark out, that that to me, it, I think, really needs to be changed because 6 a.m. is way too early for someone to just be put back outside.
2: Yeah, any any kind of you know warmth and hope that they got over the course of the night and the evening and the day before is almost seems like it's erased if you get the cold wind whipping in your face at 6 a.m. and nowhere to go. Um, You know, the hopelessness almost is is back. You know where there was some hope uh, before, and I think that's another thread that runs through um, some of the people that we met was just hope and uh, hopelessness. um, You know, a sense of of uh, you know something to to look to look forward to and to uh, have a sense of hope or not. And that was just the bottom line with some of these people's lives.
3: When we were talking to Aaron, it really felt like um, with the whole hope theme that he, he did seem like he had hope. And he had these ideas when it came to these houses that were vacant and in foreclosure that people could get jobs and clean up and help work on when you really, that, that kind of thing takes so much effort from so many different parts. It's a great start it's a great idea, but in reality, to get that approval and to get other people on that side, it's gonna take a lot more than just one idea. And honestly, I think it could be great to get some of these abandoned houses into better condition with the help of people looking for work. Just finding that um, motivation from higher people, whatever it is, government, county officers, whatever, that's the difficult part
2: and that's another thing that they're that they're doing one of the programs that the m25 initiative has is the housing first program where they're asking landlords of abandoned houses to uh, donate their houses to um, the initiative so that they can put homeless people into homes and they've put in dozens so far but they still have, you know, ways to go um, if they want to wipe out homelessness by 2020, which is their mission. Um, but you know, some of the the bigger facilities that are abandoned around here probably would be cheaper to knock them down than to than to rehab them because of the, of the safety hazards and stuff like that. So, like Nina said, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into some of these ideas, which are good ones, but. Um, It it takes everybody to get together on the same page. And, you know, it's it's still evolving. The whole M25 initiative and the whole push towards 2020, you know, it, it could get there.
0: This podcast was hosted by Kevin Howard. Interviews were conducted by Jeff Schwachter and Nina Contento. And was produced by Kevin Howard with music by Jeff Schwachter. Thanks, everyone, for listening to S&J Today's podcast, South Jersey Stories. Find more local news at snjtoday.com or on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.